This week's episode is brought to you by the one and only JT Confer, source of endless joy in Avsland this week. When you're at a disadvantage and you need goals now, call JT Confer, 877-GOAL-NOW. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway! McKinnon, pure guts! <laughs> they got nothing but guts! Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass, and look at the patient, my goodness. Guts all over the place, I can't believe it. And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're watching the Burgundy Radio for November 26th, 2018. Coming up on the show, it's been a really fun week in Avalanche Hockey. We say hello to an old friend, and goodbye to a new one, plus playoffs. But we can't get to any of that without playing the Woosh, and we can't play the Woosh without introducing the usual disembodied voices. Leading off, we have Earl Ozerks. Hello, Earl. Hello, friends. Carrying through the middle is Tiger Vixen. Hey, Jackie. Happy Sunday. Well, most people probably won't be listening on Sunday, but happy belated That's Sunday okay. to you can, everyone. You can have your Sunday vibes from us. And to bring the whole thing home, it's Rudo. Hello to Rudo. I love carrying up the caboose. The Avs have taken 13 out of their last 14 possible points after that losing streak earlier in the month. Remember that? Starting this week on Wednesday, Avs win in Los Angeles in the middle of the night, putting up the Brazil and eventually winning 7-3. Seven different Avs scored. You're expecting me to list them. And you'd be right. Vlad Kamenev, Nathan McKinnon, Patrick Nemeth, Cullen Wilson, Tyson Berry, Nikita Zadorov, Matt Calvert, and then... With the Brazil secured, the Avs decided to be charitable and give the Kings Austin Wagner his first assist and then goal of the season. Colorado scored three on the power play as this thing got out of pocket, and I humbly suggest to you all that the Kings, not a very good hockey team right now. I don't think you have to be humble about that one. (laughs) Yeah, my thoughts on this game were the Kings are a bad team and we should beat them, and we did. The Avs now have doubled the points that the Kings have. I, the one thing I will say positive about this game, other than the Kings are bad, is this marked the shift in the Avs' power play to doing a lot of the things we wanted them to on it. So that was nice. Let's talk about what some of those things are, because we've talked about a lot of different things, from splitting up the top line to just moving differently to moving Gerard around. So what did they do that was working in this game? Yeah, so for me, it was mostly the the different movement. They moved Ranson back down to that like corner slide spot where he's down below the goal line, but kind of slides up into the circle and then slides behind the net as well. And Rantanen from there is just unreal. I'm sure we'll get to a couple of the goals that he created later on in the week. Beyond that, um, you have Landis Gog working in front more. So you kind of took away that guy... In the high slot, the center dot that they use, they they still slide into that spot at times, but it's not a permanent fixture, which gives a lot more room for players to skate, and they were using that space very, very well. It was nice, I agree, it was nice to see them actually move around to different positions, but some of the same old kind of creeped back as the week went on, so I don't, I don't really know... What was what that was about? Was it just because the Kings were so bad that they were able to move around more? But at least they're somewhat figuring it out. Well, I mean, the good thing was, I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves, but it, you know, it, it worked great against Los Angeles, which we know is a terrible team. So we'll call that the power play practice night. <laughs> um, and it, 
you know, th- they looked good against uh, Arizona, which has the best penalty kill in the league. So that was promising. And it, you know, I, I think there's still, there's still a lot of capacity for them to explore what they've been kind of doing as far as moving guys around. Like, you know, like we saw last night, Miko um, standing next to the goal, but slightly behind it, waiting for a pass and then jacking it right out to Landy or whoever would be in the high slot. And I, yeah, like, I did it like didn't that work, pass but that's going to work. Yeah, that's going to yeah. work. Um, and, and that's that's kind of what we want to see with our, our favorite the point style slot shots. Um, <laughs> and so, it, it was it was nice in this game to see Kamenev score obviously on the second power play unit. And um, if I remember correctly, this was the game where he got a lot of penalty kill time. And that was when the game was in doubt, like even as much of a laugher as this one was when it was like three to nothing, I think somewhere in there, they, they had a lot of penalties they had to kill. And so that was kind of where it was still non garbage time. And they use Kamenev a lot on those penalty kills. So I think I think he's had a great week overall, but I definitely think the Kings game was maybe his best. And um, that's also one other positive I took out of this game. And another good thing is we busted a big narrative because Z took two dumb penalties and didn't get benched and actually ended up getting a little power play time and even scored a goal. He did. That was definitely garbage time, though. And that was a great goal, though. I was like, okay. It, it sure was. <laughs> That's like every goal for Z, though. Every time yeah. he scores, he like walks in and unleashes a wrister, and everyone just goes, all right, I guess he can do that. <laughs> yep, that's what he does. Uh, <laughs> he's good at that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good to see. But sure, after the second penalty, you're thinking like, oh, no, here it is. So it, maybe it was because the game or whatever, but it, it was good that he didn't get put in the doghouse well i just i don't think that's what the doghouse was for i just I, I don't think the penalties are what's pissing the staff off i think it's it's more of you know what we talked about last week is sort of being a little floaty in the defensive zone i and, agree you know, but he, he he's improved that <laughs> over this week too yeah yeah z yeah. had a good week too you can definitely see i don't know if i'd call it floaty but well, more laziness with the puck i would say and general lack of awareness, yeah. We talk a lot about uh, about Z needing, you know, plenty of ice time to kind of make sure that he engages with the game. And I think that what you're talking about there with the the kind of sometimes some ex- being extra cash with the puck or not, you know, not taking these rushes that he likes to take when he is engaged. That's kind of what you're talking about there is when he's not engaged with the game. He's just kind of like, oh, I have this puck now for a minute. But when he is, it's like, oh, I'll get out of the way. <laughs> I have the puck now. Yeah. You know, cause, I mean, he's, you know, he, like EJ, he has the ability to take it coast to coast. And in, you know, in a, in a very deceptive way, you know, it's like both those guys are so big. Um, right. They can skate and it's just like, it doesn't look like they're going very fast. And then suddenly they're right on you, and then you know a lot of times they can blow right by guys. And yeah, um, and this is my speculation. To be clear, there's no way this is fact or anything, but it does seem like 
when he makes those plays that you see Barbario and Nemeth play where they dump it in the corner behind their back to basically no one, I do think Bednar holds him to a higher standard than that and wants him to skate with the puck, use his body to hold on to the puck and look and find a pass or just take it himself. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't he? I mean, that's, you know, they want him to be better. They want him to use his ability. I mean, you know, it's obvious that, that he has talent that Nemeth doesn't. And, you know, when he's not using it and he's not raising his level above a Patrick Nemeth, and, you know, this is no slight on Nemeth. He is what he is. Well, I mean, um, you know, he's just I, sort I of selling see, himself short and not helping the team as much as he could. I, I can see the tough look angle to a point, but like we talked a lot about it, a lot of it is circumstance. So it's just. Yeah, I mean, I think you pretty much everyone agrees that the benching was probably heavy-handed, but when you look at the results, it's hard to complain. Right. Well, he's been better, but I wouldn't say he's been, like, you know, back to to peak Zadorov that he was at last year. I don't think he will be for a while. I mean, I, I think he's definitely a guy that... I think the style of hockey that we see from basically the all-star game to the end of the season suits him a lot better than what we have right now. Um, you know, it's the, the more playoffy it gets, I think that's more his speed. So I, I think when, when it's a little more open and it, it's just, it's, it's not as conducive uh, for him showing off his talents. And as long as you're not bringing the puck up the middle of the neutral zone. And then he'll take you down. Yeah, that hit last night was great. That that was definitely peak Zadorov. That hit. Zadorov was the daddy for the dad's game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's exactly what you want to see. You want to see a huge hit, no penalty, no injury, perfect. No retaliation too. Yeah. The stars for treating that like a a man hit. Yeah. Exactly. So does that give us now two players whose nickname, who have a nickname that's just like tacked onto their regular name? We got Big Old Carl and Daddy Z. <laughs> He's Daddy got a lot Z of and Danny Z would be awfully fun. <laughs> <laughs> that would be. So then on Friday, Avs score three goals in two minutes and eleven seconds on their way to a five to one route of the Arizona Coyotes with Grubauer getting another start. This was JT Comfer's first game back from his head injury, and he was awesome, starting with a pair of shorthanded goals on one penalty kill. Apparently the last person to do that was Ryan O'Reilly. Just like that, the trade is automatically a push. I think that's Fun fact though, O'Reilly's was on a four minute penalty, so technically it wasn't the same penalty because oh. of the different parts of the the penalty kill. So this was the only one that was within the same penalty. Oh, then I guess we won the trade and no one can ever bring that f- argument up again. Miko Rant and exactly. Gabe Landeskog added their names to the scoring list too. Barry added another as the Avs partied in the desert and took off most of the third period. You guys, JT Confer though. Welcome back. Yeah. Yeah. If he's on the ice with you, just give him the puck and get out the way because he can't miss right now. <laughs> yeah, of course that was great to see and especially so quick after his return and that's how i like him i i like the first goal was how he always seems to score just he he had to shoot it quick because the the other player was closing in on him um but the second goal was definitely the kind that he would be the the no finish comfort would be the breakaway 
And it was really yeah. nice to see him finish that one. He did the McKinnon shootout move. Yeah. He learned that, that from was the just best. A little flip. Yeah. The kind of like yeah, forehand, yeah. backhand, like onto the forehand, the puck pops up a little bit, and then you just. It doesn't even hit the back of the net, it just hits the top of it. That's the McKinnon. And it was nice to see him, because that's exactly where he was before he got injured, too. So it was nice to see him look like he hasn't lost a step at all. And yeah. I, obviously the goals are great, and they were they were a big help in the week. But what really goes underrated about his game is how much he shores up on the back end and lets the other guys get to work offensively as well. I didn't love him on that line. And then, obviously, when he was put back with the Frats in the Dallas game, that paid immediate dividends. But I didn't love him on that line with um, Kamenev and, God, who else was it at the time? Nieto. Nieto? Yeah, Nieto. Yeah. I actually um, did like that line a lot. Uh, I, I think like that I think that Comfer added to that line and, you know, I get you can say it's in Bork's spot, but it's just sort of the rotating scratch spot, pretty much. Um, I thought I, I he looked he a little makes rusty that there. Line... What's that? I th- I think it was more rusty than like he doesn't work with them, but I think I that line was think better. The rust mattered. Like he does enough individually. Like even if you look at both of his goals. If you if you wind him back, he was the one who created both the turnovers. The first one he created the pressure on the guy, forced an errant pass. The second one he just straight up picked it off and took it. Oh, so, he's always been great on the penalty kill. But he does that on five on five as well. His pressure up high in the zone is better than anyone else's on the team. Calvert has the speed to do it, but he doesn't have the IQ. Confer is very very good at getting in the passing lanes at the right times. And Comfer's not a weak, clear guy, um, which, you know, some of the guys on the Avs are, and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's got a plan, um, you know, this, that goes back to the IQ you just mentioned. He's got a plan, like even before he touches the puck to, to make the turnover. Um, but I, I did like him with Nieto and, and Cam just because I, I think that, that Nieto uh, sort of gives Bednar reason to feel safe putting them out against just about any kind of line. And, and he, you know, not that Phoenix or the Arizona really has a lot to be worried about, um, but they were rolling four and not really matching up. You know, that line did fine. And I just think it's, it's, it's very well-rounded with those three guys. You've got Nieto's speed and defensive ability. You know, you've got Confers all around two-way play and, and then you have Kevin's, you know, nice play in, in, in the center spot and ability to create plays in the offensive zone. So I, I just I think that line, if you keep it like that, it's well rounded enough that you could play it against a lot of different lines. Well, it's a line of very good four checkers that all have the ability to give you some points too. It's like the ideal modern fourth line. Like it's not yeah, it's it's not we've stuck some guys on here because they have to be on the roster because that's all we got, you know. Yeah, it's not a checking line, but they'll you know they'll check guys if they need to. Sure. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the great thing about Comfer. We were talking about that earlier today. Uh, you can pretty much put them with any anyone and go. Yeah, that seems fine. Yeah. He's but not yes, someone who's gonna blow you. Very away. nice to have him. 
but fine. Fine, absolutely. Right, right. He's not going to calvert you ten times a night. Yeah, and maybe he's someone that you want to move around. I think maybe his effectiveness is better when he's kind of, you know, not always on the same line where he's getting moved around because he can blend with guys, but I think his strengths work better that way when he's kind of used in an unexpected way. Yeah, he's like a sixth man in basketball. Um, well, we're going to return to JT Comfer in a minute because um, we actually have plans to talk about him. So let's not blow it all now. Let's go ahead and at least finish <laughs> off the week in, in games because uh, there was another one yesterday when the Avs met the Stars in Denver for a game that we all figured would be weird and grungy due to a quirk of the schedule, and mostly was that, until the third period when all hell broke loose. In the first two periods, the shots on goal count was 18-14 in the Avs' favor, and in the third period alone, it was 18-15. Very normal hockey game. Avs win 3-2 <laughs> on the back of about 5 trillion shot attempts late in the third period, after the Stars took a late lead. McKinnon opened up things in the first with a great setup from Miko, then after the Stars took over with 5 minutes to play, Confer puts home a greasy tying goal, and a minute later, it's Miko giving the Avs the victory, as the Stars suddenly remember, hey, that's Anton Kudobin in that. What a ride that game turned out to be after it lulled us to sleep for a while. Before we get into all that, a quick check-in of what this means, because the Avalanche have taken third in the Central, which also happens to be third in the West. They have the best goal differential in the conference, second only to the Leafs, and that could change, of course, as Nashville play after this episode is recorded, but still. They have four points and a game in hand over Dallas in the second wild card, and they have five points and two games in hand over Vegas, who would be the first challenger for that spot. So, everybody, check out the big wins on Colorado. What a week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've really put themselves in a good spot, and... Um, I think this is a time they really have to do that because right now they are as healthy as they can possibly get. They have yes. no injuries. So knock if you're wood. not, if you're not beating everyone you play except for maybe Nashville right now, um, you know, that's, that's not a good thing. Yeah, I, I also wonder how many teams in the league have zero injuries. It can't be many. No. I'm sure it's not. I, I I wouldn't go quite that far. I think there's a handful of teams that I still wouldn't expect this team to beat, even fully healthy. But the teams we played this week are definitely teams they should beat. I mean, yeah, in the Western it, Conference. Um, you know, yeah, I think in the East, it's you know, it's it's a crapshoot no matter I, what. But I, I definitely I think, think Winnipeg is a team that they shouldn't necessarily beat. And given the way we played Calgary recently. Yeah. It's just right. a weird matchup. I will say that even though the the matchups this week were weren't the greatest teams, it it was good to see them win on the road. Good to see them win in California, which can be tough for them. And beating the teams you need to beat, that's what good teams do. And then the the back to winning a a back to back is is tough as well especially yeah. with the, the second half against the division opponents. So even though they didn't really beat any good teams, I still think there was a, a lot of good to take out of that. And, and I believe now they're, they've won six of seven 
and then the seven was the overtime game against Washington. So yep. that will definitely help you in the standings. So it, it was good that they completely erased kind of what happened in that five game losing streak. So now they're they're back on pace of where they were earlier in the season. And I have one bone to pick with the game last night. Um, you know, it's like Max scores, you know, it's fairly late in the second period just because, you know, absolutely nothing happened until then. <clears throat> um, but then they, they came out in the third and they obviously wanted to sit on that lead. And I, I really hated that. Um, you saw the, you saw the center or the F3 sticking near the blue line in the offensive zone. Um, they put Nieto back with Carl and Calvert and like, you know, that, that line was a disaster again. Yeah. Bednar definitely went like, to his safe place there. Right. Sure. And it's like, if you look at why the, you know, one of the reasons why the losing streak ended and the winning streak started, it was when Nieto was moved off of that line and Dreiss was put out, you know, it, it really changed the dynamic of that line. It's like every time they put it back, they're going to run into the same problem is that they're not very good defensively and you should not try to use them as, as a shutdown line. Here's and the thing get, is I, it almost cost them the game last night. Yeah. Well, two thoughts on that one is yeah. Trying to win a game one to nothing probably isn't going to happen. Bad plan. Yeah. So. <laughs> Fun fact, the Avs have yet to record a shutout this year. Yeah, so, exactly. I agree with you. If you're starting a period thinking you're going to lock it down in a one to nothing game is kind of... That's definitely playing with fire. And the, the driest thing... Times, a lot of times when you, you know, when we see a quote-unquote turtle, you know, it's it's the other team pushing back, and that'll always happen. But, you know, it's like... with. With Bednar's comments after the game, it's like he definitely said he wanted to get the Nieto, Soderberg, Calvert line back together, and, and use that as you know as a shutdown line, and so like that was the mentality. I mean, obviously Dallas was pushing back, but it's like the Avs were not trying to score for the first ten minutes of that third period. It was just it, it was terrible. And see, I I don't feel like that was just a a crutch to win a game. I think he. Um, he is going to go back to that. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to be like the line for the next game against Nashville, but I think I think the dries thing is kind of a storyline here because they're scratching Andrew Ghetto for him. They've done it the last two games, and he, he's dries has definitely proven that he belongs. But I think I think they're going to have a tougher time fitting him in especially because they like him on that line, but it's just not going to last. Nah, yeah, I, I, I think the Dallas down. game absolutely buried him. He yeah. had two chances to basically, if he touches the puck, it goes into an open net, and he missed them both. And yeah. and you just can't have that. Like you were saying, we've seen his time on ice trend in the wrong direction, and his production has dried up. And, you know, I feel for the guy. I hope he scores a hat trick in the next game, but you just... For guys like that that are basically replacement level players, when you're not hot, you're gonna get sat. So the thing is, it's, you know, it's, and we're gonna go through this all year. It's like if you take him off that line, you know, what are you gonna, what, who are you gonna put back there? It's like we, he's not. We know Sven that there. he he yeah. is not going to put Sven there. He does not like, like Sven on that line at all. 
Um, Nieto is the default. I guess you could also hope now that they have Comfer available. Yeah, I fully expect Comfer. Comfer is like Bednar's other love, so... His main yeah, love being and- Carl. If you if y'all noticed when they were um, defending at the, I think that last shift at the very end of the game, he put out the top line, but no Miko. It was yeah. Gabe and Nathan and Carl. Um, and I mean, there's there's a lot of reason why Comfort would be a better fit than Nieto. There, first of all, it's like Nieto and Kamenov actually have some pretty decent chemistry, yeah. and they're able to. Uh, play well in all three zones together. So I think that Bednar really likes that, and he said he has. So it's I think if you build off of that, I don't know, you know, maybe you put maybe you put Dries on that line, and, and you know, just sort of swap Comfer and Dries, and um, you know, try that out, or maybe you know, you sit Dries for a game and put Sven on there with Nieto and, and Kamenev. I don't know, um, but they see, have some options, still... and they're all pretty good options. They're still scratching two forwards. I just, I don't think that's going to last, but we'll see. I mean, I, I fully believe Bender likes dries. It's just a matter of, it is becoming him on that line anymore. (laughs) Yeah. It's becoming, it's becoming a numbers game. And then, okay. And then if you're talking about fourth liners, it's kind of like, there's not a great variance between them. And, you know, what do you guys think about scratching Andrew Ghetto? I, I think that's a big story from the week that I think has kind of flown under the radar. Uh, he's just not producing. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I think it's more of an he's inevitability games, than anything, right? I, I don't think he's for the team long term. I think between the injuries and his usage, the writing's on the wall. But even, you know, just a, f- a week ago, it was just like, oh, thank God, Andrew Ghetto's back in the lineup. We could use his speed. We could use his shot generation. And now it's just kind of like, well, I'm, if he plays, he plays. I mean, I'd still rather have him in the lineup over Calvert or Nieto, but we just well, know that that's, that's not going to happen. So <laughs> Right. So wherever these notifications are coming from, please silence them. Um, but one thing we know about Bednar for sure is that he prioritizes shot suppression over shot generation. So if if he's looking for somewhere to plug Andrew Ghetto in the lineup and you know his scoring lines are set, he's not going to put him in somewhere where he's going to be asked to try to cut down shots against. That's just not going to happen. It come, it come. It's not even so much that it's a numbers game as it is just a usage game. Bednar is not going to yeah, deploy that's... him defensively, and that's what he's mainly looking for. I think right. he could slide in on that fourth line, and I think he could too. Give I mean, a bit it's... of skill. Sven's good. I mean, his suppression numbers are decent, and it's all from his shot generation yeah, numbers. It's just because he has Oops. the puck. It's not because he's stopping shots. Right. It's because he has the puck himself, exactly. which is good. But I'm just saying that Bednar will never utilize him in that kind of role, which is where the team has openings while everyone's healthy. Right. It's just funny to me where he basically was seen as like a a borderline second liner like a week ago, and now he's scratched and it's not even a big deal. It's well, it's, cause it's funny. Comfort and Jost were out at that time. Yeah, they were playing it, Marco Dano. I mean, it's, it's honestly the same story <laughs> as Lindholm, though less bad. You know, he came into a terrible team, and people were like, "Oh wow, this guy can actually play hockey at an NHL level." And then last year, he was serviceable, pretty solid as a maybe middle sixer at best, but got injured a lot. And then this year, the injuries continued, so. He, there's no room for a guy that plays like he does, but can't stay healthy. Yeah. 
I mean, it's I, you know, I wouldn't mind him where Jost is right now, um, but it's like, you know, long term you want Jost there because that's like the future of your team. So, um, you know, there's just you know, it's tough to find a role for him. I, but I again, I I do think that you know, on that fourth line, and it, you know, I hate calling that a fourth line because it's it's a pretty skilled fourth line. If you have Sven Kamenev and, and Nieto. Um, you know, that that could catch fire. So Andrew Ghetto is an arbitration-eligible RFA at the end of the season, and if his usage continues to be, well, I mean, if everybody's healthy, we can't really put him anywhere in the lineup, makes you kind of wonder if we maybe we see kind of a, uh, like a change of scenery for change of scenery kind of RFA, RFA swap, maybe closer to the deadline. Um, yeah, I think he's definitely one of the candidates. Like, I know the yeah. Avs don't trade anybody near the deadline, but... That's like one guy I could see them doing that with, or just not qualify him because that's I, what they I do. Think there's zero chance that they qualify him. There's <laughs> no way that he gets value at his current contract. Also, an option. I, but then, you know, I mean, yeah, if right. somebody gets injured and he plays a lot, I mean, you know, lots of things can happen. So then you yeah. trade him for a fourth round pick and you'd be happy about it. But then that would be trading an NHL player for a pick, and that. Yeah, well, that, that's not that's, acceptable. Uh, it's in the CBA that yeah. the Avs can't do that. But one thing that we've kind of skirted <laughs> around, that we kind of like implied but never really outright said in this whole conversation, is that Dry's got kicked down to the Soderberg line in the first place because Tyson Jost came back, and Tyson Jost has been, you know, a really solid piece of this lineup since his return, just like JT Comfort has. Getting those two guys back has really helped shore up the Avs forward core. I th- I think Jost coming back has been also a bit of an underrated um, storyline. I guess you could say because he's not on the goal I, sheet. He's well, he's he has scored points. What is it, eight points or something? Sure, but he's not actually turn. Put, he's not putting it in the net, so no one notices. But I think they started winning when he came back, and it's not like he's the only reason. But I think he does make the lineup better, and that. That helped out. Yeah, he's definitely yeah. playing better than um, before his concussion. And, you know, I, I don't know if we want to get into this here, but um, what we're seeing with the new, the Avs' new skills coach, um, we're seeing some sort of new tricks on the ice. Um, that, that, I wonder you know, about that too. Like what Earl's trying I mean, like, to say is we're winning faceoffs. Well, that's one. That's part of it. The main one I wanted to talk about is the flip pass, the one that Landy did to Miko the other day. That was that was like the best play ever. Um, (laughs) And then Comfer did a similar one last night, and it's obviously something you know those those uh, the spider things that we see on the ice and some of the practice pictures. I think that's part of you know maybe what they're trying to do is is guys practicing passing over things um but it's it's this week yeah Yeah. or miko and even like or miko's from behind the goal to willie the other night like that was just a sick pass too and it's like all these things are aerial passes and you know it's like all right miko's incredibly talented he would probably figure that out on his on his own but it's like you see so many in a week and you start seeing a pattern (laughs) and you're like you know, this there's, is probably something that they're being taught and, and that they're using in these skill sessions. There's yeah, some moves that, that I notice. It's like the turnaround shoot 
in front of the net. And I know that's not like a reinventing the wheel that Allard came up with. Like it, that's a hockey play. But like you said, when you see it so many times from different guys within a, a short time span, you're like, oh, they were doing that. Yeah, and it's like when Sam rolled into town. Suddenly, everybody could just spin in a circle. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I can do that. <laughs> but I mean, but... I think that's really cool that this dude comes in and he starts teaching these things, and it's like there's a really noticeable effect um, just in the past couple of weeks from what he's done. So, and I think especially um... on the younger guys, like. Maybe they're just more, I don't know, more of a sponge to kind of these things. Or maybe they just get into it more like the skills. Well, I mean, Coffer and Joe's were out for so long and they could work with the skills guy, yeah. you know, even when they couldn't um, it, practice with the team. So they got a lot of that. It, it is an interesting thing that they bring in this skills guy in the same year that they lose David Oliver as the player development coach or whatever you want to call his position. Because his thing was always skills are secondary and you just have to be a superhuman conditioning and skate real hard all the time. More grit. Yeah. Play so hard. Play the right there's way. definitely a stark contrast there to say Do that. Do the same thing, but better. <laughs> and this, and this no, isn't no, even, I... I don't think this is even arguing backwards from results because the Avs have played bad teams before. It's We're noticing different tools in the toolbox than we've ever seen them use against bad teams before well like yeah, i said earlier but the, the breakaway that comfort scored you know was that could have been due to him working on on those that those type of shots more of the skilled shots which is where comfort would struggle yeah and oh. so yeah, yeah i wish we knew more about it like i i wish i could go and see one of these skill practices I would think about it if I kind of had an idea when they would be, since it's really difficult for me to get down there. But it, I, I do think it is a, a, a big change for them and a big difference. And I think it will help out a lot because if you're just making an investment, even just a little bit in an area like that and how, how much it could pay off down the line. And we've seen all these guys score, like I've said like, I've been keeping track of the even strength goals from the depth, and it's now been 21 even strength goals in November. It's just under two per game. So if you're getting guys that can put the puck in the net at even strength from guys that are not the top line, I, I think that's a huge asset. And so and maybe, maybe the skills coach is helping that. If, if at all, it's worth it. And just imagine what they're going to be able to do with him now, like at, at development camp over the summer and right, sort of yeah, the, I'm, the early I, parts of camp next year. I, I hope, uh, yeah, the development camp's definitely re reimagined with what they could do having the skills coach as a resource for sure. You mean they might And he's a big skate? skating guy. Yeah, and, and he's a big skating guy. I mean, I, I think Tracy Tutton's still listed on the website, but I, I don't know if she's still really with the team. But, um, you know, he's really big on skating and edge work and things like that. So it, it'll be interesting to see. That That's a really subtle thing that's really, you know, hard to pick out as far as improvement over the season. But, um, you know, maybe in some practices we'll see over the summer, it'll be interesting to see sort of how he's getting guys to improve that way. 
So hold on to that thought that Jackie just said about getting all this depth scoring. Um, briefly, we saw this week Marco Dano was waived by the Colorado Avalanche and claimed back by the Winnipeg Jets. Bye-bye. Thank goodness. So that was a fun few weeks, I guess. Well, I have a lot For of thoughts him. about fun. this. Maybe yeah. we don't want to get into, but... You know, I've said on this podcast multiple times, I didn't hate him. I definitely didn't hate him as much as you guys did. I, I thought him. he brought something different. I would have been okay with him sticking around as like an extra forward. I would not have wanted to see him go to Loveland. But I just, the disappointing part for me isn't him and his performance. It's just the fact that they did it. It was just a giant waste of time. And it, it wasn't so much because Kamenev and Greer sat out and had to watch him play. But it was you, you're bringing someone into your organization that didn't go through the training camp and the fitness regimen. And they say that this team is a close knit and it's very much everyone pulling the rope in the same direction and all this and that. You bring in a guy from a division rival. You're trying to get him into the culture of the team. He did many different team and community events. And then you just send him back, which I'm not saying that's the wrong thing because they need to focus on their own players. But just the entire thought process between bringing in someone and then... And then just cutting bait, and it was just such a waste of time. It's that that part was really, really disappointing. I kind of shooting off of that. I, to be honest, I don't really care that much about that stuff. Uh, but I mean, they it, I think they brought important. him in, and when you bring a guy in, you expect him to get some sort of an opportunity. But they never really gave him one, and to be fair, he was not that good in the time he got. But they brought him in as a guy that they're like, this is a guy who has talent, and we want to give him an opportunity. And I think his max time on ice in a single game was like nine minutes. They didn't even play him third-line minutes. They never gave him a chance, and that's a role that anyone in this organization could fill. You could call up any number of prospects. You could call up Andrew Agazzino, a depth AHL player, and he could do that role just fine. So it was just pointless from the get-go. The outlook, like the look from the outside, from where I sit, is that the team said, "Hey, that's a talented player on the waiver wire. Let's claim him while we still have the chance." And then they claimed him, and they got him, and then they looked at each other and said, "I thought you knew what we were going to do with him. Oh, I thought you knew what we were going to do with him. Uh oh." And right. I know that people that that the narrative out there was that it, it was because of the injuries. It wasn't because when he was claimed, only Comfer was injured. Andrew Ghetto was three days away from returning. He'd already been skating full practice with the team. Joe's hadn't been hurt at that time, and they had dries up at the time, which then they sent him to Loveland to fit Dano in. So it wasn't because it was like, oh my gosh, we need somebody for the to be a warm body for this week it totally wasn't yeah i agree with that i think this is something that the pro scouting department you know identified as a player they liked and grabbed the opportunity to get him. and you know i, I mean they've been better lately but this is just another case where they kind of you know they, they really flailed in their evaluation afar right exactly it's like it's like thinking that they're desperate for for personnel and they're not and they have so many they more options they were desperate. Now. i think they honestly thought that he was something that he wasn't 
And that's, you know, that's again, that's the problem yeah, that no, I've had I, many times I, is that, you know, I mean, you can, you can look at Calvert kind of the same way as, you know, they, they say like, oh, the, you know, this is what this guy is. And you're looking at like, he's really not. So, yeah, but more kind of rooted in the, no, I think it was because they liked him in particular, but yeah. It, exactly. The reason why they did it is because they're they're still in this mindset like they just have to hoard as many of these options as they can, and it, it, yeah. it's like you had no room for him. Yeah. So I mean, he's back to where he belongs. That's fine. The Dano era is over. Everyone's happy about that. But yeah, this I, was definitely a big failure. It was. The, it's the same story that we've had many times. Of they do things without having a plan past tomorrow, and <laughs> so there's not even yeah. a contingency plan here. There's not. There's not even a what if he comes over and he doesn't show anything he's never shown in Winnipeg. Then what? Uh, well, I guess we'll wave him again. I... Wait, what if he comes over and he's exactly what he looks like? <laughs> right, he hasn't played like over ten minutes in like two years. Yeah, so you know, so, it was a weird I'm, move with a weird end. It was short. We can move on. Re- remember when the Avalanche claimed uh, Chris Wagner from the Anaheim Ducks, yeah, who was, never ever expected him to get claimed, and then when the Avalanche came time to get rid of him themselves, the Ducks took him right on back. Yeah. The the only the thing that worries me is that they they got a mulligan on their dumb personnel move of the year, and now they're going to make another one. <laughs> like, in a way, I wanted them stuck with him so that they were like, oh, well, now we have one less contract to fuck Maybe around the with. realization of Matt Calvert personnel being yeah, dumb and setting it <laughs> But now they're like, oh, Matt now we Calvert have another contract and another stupid move we can make later on in this year. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, Dano became expendable because the lower half of the Avalanche roster has, for the most part, been getting it done lately. Um, yeah. And by lower half, I really mean everybody below the Nathan McKinnon line. Um, That's about half. That <laughs> <laughs> Neglecting a lot of players, I see. But value approaching zero. Um, that's That's called hockey calculus. But uh, what, it, what it comes down to at the end of the day is that the, those forwards are down there getting it done. There wasn't space for Dano to wedge himself into the lineup. There wasn't a gaping hole for him to fill, which is where um, now we, as fans, continue to pine for the mythical sniping second-line winger or second-line center or something. And uh, my uh, my understanding winger. was that some of y'all wanted Definitely to winger. some of y'all wanted to talk about this. I well, mean, I'll mine, talk about. It. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'll. Mine's probably more of a rebuttal, anyway. Um. <laughs> all right. Does anyone on this panel see the Az as a cup contender right now? Yes. Mo- Money puck sure does. No. No, I don't either. <laughs> okay, so Earl does. I do, and I'm not being facetious. No, I, I, I believe you. What would it take to put this team over the top if they're a cup contender? If they're not, what would it take to make them a cup contender? Experience. And I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do think it matters. But a top six winger is what I think it would take to make this team a cup contender. And it's not that their wingers are bad. 
I think they're more than serviceable, but where teams win in the playoffs is depth scoring. And the Avs have some. Kerfoot has been fantastic depth. Carl Soderberg has been fantastic depth. Both of those are centers, essentially. Kerfoot kind of a pseudo-center, but still counts. And Wilson's been good on that wing. Jost has been good on the other wing. But they haven't been 50-point players on those wings. And that's where teams really start to take advantage of you in the playoffs. Look at Pittsburgh runs. Phil Kessel on the second line. That's the type of thing that gets you to Cups. I don't think they're one player away is the thing. I don't think they are either, but they have opportunities to fill those positions with players like Makar and internally. It's hard to really see a top six winger in the Avs system right now. I mean, would it be nice to add a a 30-goal score just like that? Yeah, it would make the lineup better. Like, they added Panarin, would they be a better team? Absolutely. I just, it's going to take a lot more than just adding a really, really good forward to win a cup. But my thing is, you just can't go to the winger store. Like, what right. are you going to do to get a good guy like that? Are, right. Are we talking and that's, about That a doesn't rental? complicate things. Definitely not a rental. Absolutely not. That would be unacceptable. A lot of assets. Right. right. It's, oh. you know, you have to weigh the options. And I'm not saying the Avs should trade for a top six winger right now. I think next year it should be something they seriously consider. Unless, you know, like an amazing offer falls into their lap, then that's a different story. But I mean, hopefully you could get it done in free agency. But then, you know, we we talked about James Neal last year and look how he's fallen off the cliff. So then we're talking about someone younger and better. Like if you could get Jeff Skinner for free, maybe that would be nice. But then maybe he's having fun in Buffalo now. Maybe he <laughs> won't even be on the market. <laughs> It is, and and it, admittedly, it is definitely a bit of a unicorn in what we're asking here for a top six winger. But you know, now Skinner's been good in Buffalo, and Buffalo has been surprisingly okay this year. It's just the idea of fun in Buffalo just cracked me up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if they if they want to pay him, but it's just like I I don't I mean, think I... there's a glaring need. Of course, more good players is a good thing. But as far as having to do what you have to do to fill that need, I don't think they have a need right now. They have a full lineup, and we know they're going to have injuries. But hopefully at this point, they've understood that they do have decent guys that could step in and take some minutes. They don't have a need because no one expects them to contend for a cup. Except Earl. Sure, and if, if that's Earl. the line of distinction, then <laughs> then yeah, they're not ready for that. For me, if they want to get aggressive, I would like to see them do a, do aggressive things to get more assets. Like if you're going to s- sit on Varley and Barry and probably Soderberg and other depth forwards and get nothing for them because you got a good thing going, we don't want to mess things up, the chemistry's great, then you can't turn around and say... Like, we need to be aggressive to, to bring a guy in because you haven't done the things necessary to set yourself up for that. I mean, there are other ways to get a top six winger. I, you know, you load up on first round picks and get Capo Caco. That's a top six winger. It's, yeah, it's, all about, it's all about setting your window here. And like I've said, I don't think the Avs window is open yet. 
But once that window opens, I think the top six winger is going to be the piece they're looking for. So this is a conversation See, I... that's not about right now. I think we need to be clear about that. We're, we're not talking about Correct. Try, trying to fill that hole right now. And, I, if the and, team tried and maybe to do that we are... deadline, that'd be a mistake. But yeah, yeah, I think, I think we are all during the season with that, is not the I don't... time think the fan base is like I think they want to see improvement right now which I think is it's pretty crazy when your depth is scoring the way that it is to want to go out and make a move for right now but but we're fans we can want pie in the sky if we want if if that's what we're after we, we're allowed to be dumb because our decisions don't matter the front office you're not allowed to be dumb <laughs> well I think well, they were dumb the because I think the whole reason that we're having this conversation is the poor move that they made this summer and in, in thinking that they needed Matt Calvert instead of, and you know, I know James Neal is a bad example because he has fallen off the cliff, but I would have fully endorsed that move this summer. And maybe with the abs, he'd look totally different. I don't know, but it would have been more in the it, direction of what they needed for sure. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think if they had gone that direction, Instead of thinking they needed a fourth liner playing on their sometimes second line, um, they would be more of a cup contender than they are right now. But I, you know, I still don't think that they're that far off of the guy of the teams that everyone is saying are, are you know sort of shoe ins for the final four. The, a lot of those teams never make it either. I think. Yeah. Even Bednar said it this week. I don't remember which press. Maybe it was on the radio. And he said, fans don't realize how like how much of a step it is to be a contender or something like that is what he said. He was super philosophical this week. So he was even saying, like, it's not close. He wasn't saying it in a negative way, just saying how much it takes to truly be well, on I, that I, level. I mean, you know, every every contender was once not a contender. I mean, uh, you know, there are a lot of teams that were built full of, you know, retreads and, and guys that had experience on other teams. But there were a lot of players on those teams that, that eventually ended up winning cups that, you know, didn't know they could win the cup, that, that didn't know they had what it takes to make it through 16 wins. So It's, it's not like, like we're I seeing can, an a new cup winner every year. Like it's, it's pretty much the, the teams that are in that are truly in that box. And, and it is a changing of the guard right now, but it's not but I mean, like, I, Oh, Hey, anyone can do it. Year I mean, in, Alex year out. Kerfoot could turn into a cup winning second line center and, in, in, you know, in a transformation that we can't really imagine right now. And, and, you know, we could look back on it and say, like, yeah, you know, we sh we should have seen that coming. He has what it takes, right? Like, why isn't he the guy? It's like, what is he on pace for now? Like, fifty well, or sixty points? Because he's not a winger. <laughs> well, I mean, he probably should be. He's, he's, he's filling a winger this, sometimes. He, he fills that center role kind of by default right now. But if that line had like a proper, you know, top six center. Sure, instead of two decent ones. So maybe the, the role changes to we need a top six center or whatever it is, but there's still another top six player that what needs to exist What do you guys not there. like about Alex Kerfoot, the center? I, I think he's fine. I don't think he's great. I still think that line he's plays center big. by committee, so... Yeah. He's not large. That's why he's not a top six center. He doesn't really play defense either. 
he does okay defensively, <laughs> but a, a big reason yeah. that I'm talking about this being a, a, a conversation for, you know, the future, for the summer, is that we look at the, uh, you know, if you, you can pop over to CapFriendly.com right now and you see a nice big UFA right next to Colin Wilson, do you think they're trading him? Do you, do you think they're re-signing him? I wish I, they would trade him, but I don't no. think there's any way they trade him. I I think they just need to move on from Wilson. I know he's fit in he, well this year. He's he does something that the others don't, but this is part of of building for the f- for the future and the short term future is they're going to have to start being smart with where the dollars go. And I know you look and you're like, oh my god, they I don't even know how much cap space like twenty thirty million, but you have now all players that you need to sign if you yeah. want to get involved in free agency at all you you just can't keep everyone you have to move on and you have to improve and they also right. have a right wing that is playing decent in loveland someone yeah. that just won a game yesterday for the team and martin Cout. <laughs> so you wilson know, is you uh to, he's in a lose-lose situation basically um either <laughs> He doesn't continue to perform at the level he has performed at so far this year, and the Avs don't have any use for that guy. Or he does continue to perform at that level, and he's too expensive. Pretty so much. It yeah. ju- he just doesn't fit with the Avs after this year. Yeah, we, we can pretty much count on Wilson being gone this year, and then that leaves... Okay, so maybe not Alex, not. Alex Kerfoot. Oh, yeah, sure, you won't. But Alex Kerfoot can slip over into that wing spot and open up the center for... Tyson Jost at all, or we can leave Kerfoot there and look for a winger, and maybe we can get lucky, and Shane Bowers or Martin Kaut is ready to slip into that role, but... I mean, I, I think Kaut will be side. with the team next year. I yeah. would I would put money on Kaut being with the team. I wouldn't put money on him being a second-line winger. I wouldn't either. I, I wouldn't either, but if they still have their third line being Soderberg and friends, then... <laughs> you still don't have like an actual third line. Like where he should start is a third line with, I would say like Kamenev this as a third line center yeah, I mean, on that wing. And then and maybe like a Nieto on the other wings. So for for what it's better. worth, Bednar does use that quote unquote fourth line as a semi third line a fair amount right. of the time. So, yeah. So no, I'm not saying Kaut's going to come in and step in and, and be that day one. But I also don't think that you can say he's not the answer there and that you need a clutch to someone like Wilson just to fill that spot. If we're looking at the Stanley Cup playoffs 2020, you know, then maybe by that time, Martin Kaut, you know, can fill that role. I mean, there's just no way to know right now. Yeah, we don't know what an NHL NHL ceiling is right now. At all. But I mean, they use Jost at 19 years old as like a pseudo second liner. So it's not like complete crazy talk to think that they'll use Kaut in a similar sort of career trajectory. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, They also weren't afraid to put Jost on the fourth line when he ran cold, and I think Kaut will see the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, sure, that's fine. So instead of the 2020 playoff picture, why don't we look instead of the 2019 playoff picture, since we're through American Thanksgiving and the Avs are securely in a playoff spot? What's a realistic expectation for this team? And uh, for everybody except for Earl, who's already answered this question, what do you think their ceiling is? <laughs> for this year? For this year. Um, you know, I've been saying bubble a lot, but I think 
especially through this stretch, how they rebounded from the losing streak. They should solidly be a playoff team. I still think probably a wild card, even though if they could actually beat Winnipeg and Nashville with a little consistency, I could think maybe they'd slip into that third spot. Um, They just haven't played that many division games yet, so it's really hard to kind of handicap if they can kind of how what their ceiling is for the the division but i think um i i think they could get in and win around hey, uh, if they get the first wild card spot i definitely think they can win around i would much rather play a pacific team right which if, would be calgary and we'd be screwed if you're in that third that spot with a week to play tank <laughs> yeah that's true do you really want to be that third it would be nice accomplishment do you really want that third spot that's that's right. another question so I, I think they could end up there because i just I, I see the avs and minnesota ending up pretty close and maybe minnesota even trails off a bit i mean i honestly think that you know right now if you're looking at i i, I don't know i guess i don't watch minnesota so i can't really say but it just they they don't seem to be at the same level as Nashville and, and Winnipeg and the Avs, as far as who you're thinking about at the top of the division, They've I'd like to see them again on, no on a yeah. shots back against to back them. to really see how how the Avs and Minnesota match up with with Minnesota playing well and the Avs playing well. Yeah, Minnesota's had a cupcake schedule for sure, but I do think it's close. I I, I definitely don't think Minnesota's materially ahead of yeah, so. I, I agree. There, there are two teams that are in a similar spot on very different trajectories. <laughs> yeah. So I still think the Avs could probably get a wild card spot. They could probably, you would hope they could push to win around this time. I guess it really depends on the matchup, but I think that's ultimately where this team is right now. Yeah, I would say second round exit is the maximum ceiling as well. Well, see, the thing for me, and the reason I think that they're a cup contender is because I think they will win. I, I think they, they can definitely win the first round. And I, I think we've seen in the past that once you get into that final eight, that it's really controlled by things that there's no way to see at this point in the season as far as, you know, like injuries with the opponent, with your own injuries. Um, so I, I think once you get in that final eight, it, it you kind of, Everyone's on more or less equal footing. I think that matters for the teams that have the experience. And it's good that the Avs have last year's experience. But, you know, when, when teams like Chicago or, L, or L.A. made it as the eighth seed and they, they did damage, it's because it wasn't like that was their first time as an eighth seed and then it didn't matter. It, it's, it still matters the, the experience that you bring into the playoffs. If... If yeah. it's like their third consecutive playoff appearance, then I'd agree. A seed, whatever you're in, you, you're in the dance. It, it doesn't matter how you get there. But I, th- I think where the Avs are right now, an A seed is still pretty, pretty low uh, on the totem pole for them. Ian Cole is a great example of that. And to a lesser extent, last year, some of the play of PK Subban against Nashville or against the Avs in the playoffs. There's this factor in hockey, and people don't like to talk about it, but it's what you can get away with. We'll call it the and scum ex- factor. Yeah, and experienced <laughs> playoff teams know exactly where that line is of what they can get away with in a playoff game. You want to look and at the a abs- really, sorry to interrupt, but do you want to look at a really good example of that? 
Go back to the to the half season after the lockout and watch the Boston Bruins and the Toronto Maple yep. Leafs because Toronto, yep. that was probably the best hockey a Randy Carlisle team has ever played, and they tried to play you know clean, pretty hockey, and Boston went in and scummed it up and won the series won the series by scumming it up because it's the playoffs as you and you can absolutely and and that's and, the yeah the Avs, the Avs don't have do that, that beyond Ian Cole basically and maybe Landis Scott. <laughs> No one wants yeah, to which is just that, so funny. It's so funny when they get in trouble for any anything borderline gray area. Just like, oh my god, the abs are dirty. You know, Miko getting his fine for embellishment is just ridiculous. You know, like <laughs> like like the abs are this team of of habitual divers. It's just you know exactly like when Landeskog gets the four game suspension for an accidental cross check. It's yeah, it's. Um, I agree, and, well, and I've always felt that way. They cross need... check I'm just not in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> they do need to grow up in certain ways. They do need to, and I've always felt like they play kind of little kid hockey. And I think they've gotten better, but it's certainly a step they need to take. So you're looking for some Pierre LeBron big boy hockey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to come in somewhere in the middle of you guys. I Just based on realistically looking at the Pacific Division, if you think the Avalanche are a wildcard team and you think they have the ability to win a round, that's probably San Jose. And that's probably the strongest competition the Pacific has to offer unless you get unlucky in Earl Calgary. And that's not because they're a better team. It's because they match up well against the Avalanche. So if, if you think that Colorado are a wildcard team who can win around, then you probably also think they can make it to the Western Conference. Finally, you just don't realize it. And that's where I think their ceiling is. I don't think that they can win, you know, four games out of seven against San Jose, X, and either Nashville or Winnipeg all in a row. I, well, we haven't played San Jose yet, so we'll see. I, I think considering I think they how they Nashville match- last year, so I don't see why they couldn't do it this year. No, they wouldn't beat Nashville last year. Oh, they could. <laughs> they, they could start by beating them this, this week. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, we'll see how they match up against San Jose this year. But they matched up pretty well last year. So right. right now, I would say I'd feel okay about that matchup. And then um, in the Central Division, I agree at this point, it seems like Nashville or Winnipeg would be a tough win. But you never See, know. But, it's a little early to forecast right. exactly. That's, like, Minnesota could win and get in that second spot, and then it'd be us against Minnesota, and I would feel... That would suck. <laughs> I don't care I, if I the abs sweep like, them. That would that. suck. I mean, so, yeah. I... I definitely see where you're coming from, Steph, in the making the conference finals idea, but I kind of go back to the experience factor... And we saw this against Nashville last year also. The Avs get beat up in the playoffs. (laughs) And I think if they make it through that first round, it's it's not going to be free. They're going to cost a couple of quality players. That's right. I mean, that's why I'm saying ceiling is conference final. Realistically, they have a good chance to win a round. They could win. That's fair. That's that's where I'm coming down. That's fair. I I set the bar a little lower, but yeah, I I could see it. I think winning one series would be close to, I wouldn't say miraculous, but I'd say pretty celebratory. 
I mean, and the other thing about the playoffs is if Varley decides to have a 9-7 save percentage, then <laughs> we win, I guess. This goes full Tim Thomas. And since uh, we, we started by neglecting our all, let's end with him. Um, obviously, you, you think they could make it all the way to the final, but what is your realistic expectation after a quarter of the season? I I think they'll... I think they'll win a first round and then from there it's, you know, it's going to depend on things we can't see like injuries and whatnot. I think, you know, you look at a team like Winnipeg. Yeah, they're very good, but they're basically one year ahead of the avalanche right now. I mean, it's like last year was their first year being good. Um, And they, you know, they really took it to a big level their first year. Uh, But they're under a lot of pressure to actually better that. So, I mean, they, they could be vulnerable. I think when they made the playoffs a couple years ago, that was their Avs first year. I think they're several years ahead. Yeah, Winnipeg's been good longer than anybody noticed because their goaltending's been awful. Yeah. They had really good development, too. Yeah. yeah that helps. Uh, they had Patrick Line scoring lots of goals, too. I mean, that's, you know, I, I think, you know, for whatever reason, I, I have a feeling that you know, it, say say the Avs went around and end up against Winnipeg in the in the second round. I think they could win that. Um, you know, some things would obviously have to fall very right for Colorado to do that, but I just I don't see it as being something like a ninety nine percent chance against. For them to have to play, or for them to play Winnipeg in the second round, it's most likely they would have had to have beaten Nashville in the first round. So that you're talking a gauntlet here. Yeah, I mean, it could be, it, it could be, you know, they beat Minnesota in the first round, and then Winnipeg takes out Nashville. I mean, there's a lot of ways that can happen. Oh, which one of them is the eighth seed in that situation, Nashville or Winnipeg? I'm looking. I mean, I'm looking at Nashville as the first seed, Minnesota and Avs is second and third, and Winnipeg in fourth, which is the way it is right now. Yeah, but Winnipeg is the first wild card spot, so they play in the Pacific bracket. Remember the playoffs are stupid. I thought the fifth seed would do that. I guess we're assuming that the Pacific division leader will always be the weakest. Yeah. So then five would play. One plays eight, and seven yeah. doesn't play two. Seven plays one of the other division. Yeah, the first wild card plays the weakest division winner, so it could either be Pacific or Central, but if we're sticking with the assumption that the Pacific's always going to be weaker... The top team in the Central is not going to be worse than the the top team in the Pacific. I'd put money on that. Yeah. So then... Yeah, so, so it's basically saying the Avs almost want that first wild card spot, so that they're the ones that get moved to the Pacific. I is I guess the assumption if the Pacific continues to be that weak. If you want to win series, that would be better than coming in second or third in the Central. If you want to just get solid playoff experience and make your team better in the long run, I don't think it matters. Steph said we'd make the conference final, so we need to buy him an Avs Pacific Division <laughs> Camps banner. Steph said we could, <laughs> not that we will, that we could. So everybody, a brief update. If Mikko Rantanen had no goals, only assists, <laughs> he would still be tied for 8th in the NHL in overall points right now. Instead, <laughs> and that's just stupid. Instead, he's first with a 3-point gap between him and 2nd place. 
Second place, by the way, is Nathan McKinnon, who has his own three-point gap on Connor McDavid. I'm not sure if Edmonton plays or not today, and I don't care. If you want to fact-check me, do whatever you want. But let's do stars and scratches. <laughs> let, let me add something to Miko there. I, I, I looked at his point total this morning, and it dawned on me that he had 38 points, and that's what he had in his rookie year, which was the lost season. And that was in 75 games. He's done it now in 23. Well, he found this season. I think it's funny. We've gone, what, like an hour through this podcast, and we've hardly even talked about what McKinnon and Rantanen did this week. It's just like, hey, you know what? <laughs> they scored some pretty crazy goals, but they do that every game. So yeah. cool. And 99 Miko's points been... in 23 games. <laughs> Miko's been leading the league now for like a month. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, this isn't it's, like he had a random five-point night and popped up by a point and then lost it again. Right, exactly. I think he's been <laughs> tied a couple times, but... <laughs> yeah, he's been, I think he's been in the lead or shared the lead for, like, a month now. It's just... It is pretty mind-blowing. I guess my question is, where do you think he's going to end up this year? Is he going to score 100? Oh, yeah. 80? Easy. Assuming health. <laughs> of yeah. course. He could have, what, a, like, around a half a point a game and still hit 80 at this point? Yeah, it's just, like, he might hit 60 by Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, easily. And, uh, yeah, it is pretty incredible, I think. I think that's something that, that needs reflection that's hard to do on, like, in a, a weekly or in an ongoing basis, but just his play has been remarkable all year and i he's starting to get his own recognition but i think people that don't watch miko regularly don't have the appreciation just for what a force he is on the ice and the kind of plays he's making and just the step forward that he's taken and it's it's just a, a lot of fun a lot of fun to be an abs fan and watch a player like that that could possibly even be better than mckinnon while we're we'll talking see. about Miko and his ridiculous skill and the ridiculous things he can do on the ice, can we talk just for a minute about Colin Wilson? Because his, yeah. his last two goals have been without the puck touching the ice before it got to him. <laughs> I think on Rantanen's it technically skipped off the ice. <laughs> I, but it was in the air when he hit it, yeah. I don't think it did, but I mean the replays, it's through legs and sticks. It's hard to really yeah, see exactly. Yeah. But I, I think that was... Like, I think that was with, I think that was, if the floor is lava, I think that one's good. Either way, the dude's <laughs> been playing some baseball. Yeah. And is the other one the Calvert back yeah. assist? Is the other one you're talking about? <laughs> yep, the Calvert back assist, exactly that one. Because that <laughs> one didn't touch the ice either, he just golfed it right in. Boop! <clears throat> um, yeah, Willie's been having himself a good time lately. But, the th but you're right, the things that that Mac and Miko, and with not to ignore Gabe Landeskog either, but the things that those two specifically are doing out there, it's just something else right now. And it, it's even to the point where when they don't score two points apiece a night, that you can see <laughs> McKinnon being frustrated. Like, <laughs> I know, you're like, they didn't get any points. This is, this is unheard of. Like, like wait a minute. We the scary thing is, that it, Miko has started scoring goals. I mean, um, you know, the, the football pass that, that Gabe gave him the other day um, for the breakaway, 
I think it's pretty underrated how you have to corral a pass like that and then deal with, you know, traversing the defensive zone and then you know, putting it over the goaltender. That was a really nice goal. And last night's and goal And staying on was, side, too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not always the hugest yep. fan of, of Mark Rycroft as an analyst, but his breakdown of that goal was outstanding yeah. because it pointed out exactly that, how well-timed all of it was. Yeah. And then last yeah. night's goal was, I mean, first of all, it won the game and they were behind and it was just, you know, an outpouring of emotion. But that was pure grit, you know? It's like he and Landy were just sitting there hacking away and, yeah. you know, it just came out and Miko put it in. And, and, you know, those are two very different kinds of goals with two very different kinds of skills. And it's like, you know, for a long time, he was like sort of like the five goal and 30 assist kind of guy. But he started scoring goals now. And that, I mean, that's just scary. And it it even does seem his like that this week. They're so varied. Like his assist on the McKinnon goal in the second period against Dallas was by just drawing a bunch of traffic and threading the needle. And then you look at yep. his assist on a on a goal like Wilson's, where he's set up behind the net and he finds an open player and finds a miraculous way to get it there. Like, yeah, over two opponent sticks. Plus everything he's able to do on the rush between those two. So, like. He's doing everything offensively right now. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of his assists are even strength primary assists, too. So it's not like he's living on power play secondaries and stuff like that. He's, I think he was a leader. I think Marner maybe passed him now, but for a long time, he was the the leader of even strength primary assists. So that's, that shows you right there what kind of difference he's making. It helps that the the Avalanche are the leading uh, team, at, at least in goal rate at five v five, which is some. I mean, that's fascinating to me, just because you know it's like they've always kind of been reliant on the power play, and even though the power play is first in the league, um, still even after last night, tied with Winnipeg now, um, they are scoring a lot at even strength. Like you've been tracking Jackie, but their rate is. I mean, it's it's it, the other day when I was looking it up, it was an eighth of a goal better per game than Nashville in second place in the Western Conference. Mitch Marner, I mean, fourteen the, primary assists, five v five, and Miko Rantanen twelve. Yeah, Mitch Marner. And then I th- think does Miko still lead in primary just points, not necessarily first assists? I think it's. Probably, I think he still leads. He probably does. He leaves in points overall. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, hang on, I broke it. Oh. IPP sixty. But you know, like a lot of teams or a lot of players that lead the league, a lot of times they're getting a lot of extra points from the power play, things like that. Yeah, no, there's especially there, secondaries. There's players well below the scoring list that have, uh, or well below Ranton and on the scoring list that have more power play points. Um, primary points, Rantanen is 8th, actually. It goes Marner, Duchesne, Point, Tavares, McKinnon, Skinner, Domi, Rantanen. Or even strength points. So all even strength points. Yeah. We're going to get real specific yeah. on this one. Yeah. Uh, Rantanen, Tavares, <laughs> Duchesne, McKinnon, Marner, yeah. Point, Domi, Shabbat, Panera. Where is Rantanen? At the top. You said him first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much we take this for granted. We don't even notice when we read his name. So, stars subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> I so after all of this, I think Miko deserves a star, which is kind of like an an obvious. But I think 
in a week, for me, in a week when they won every game, like, everyone played well for the most part. So it's it's really hard to really single someone out. So I'm going to give my star to Miko. Even though he probably should just get one every week, no matter what. <laughs> JT Comfer, we already talked about one. Yeah. I think that's yep. fair, too. I'd send one Cam in Ev's way. I think this was his best yeah. week so far with the Evs, for sure. Uh, he seems to get better every game as the season goes on, and he's been steadily earning more and more ice time, so it's his been good. His first multi-point game, too, so that's nice. Oh, you got a name? I was going to go with Comfer or Miko. Okay. So it's tough to find a scratch um, when you've won three games out of three this week. And six out of seven with that sixth, with that seventh game being an overtime loss. So scratches this week are... Do you want to name anybody or not? I'm, I'm giving it to the schedule maker. Okay. <laughs> I think we've done that before. I'm going to give mine to, to Bednar just for trying to lose the game last night. <laughs> I'd float EJ's name out there. I'm with yeah, you on he's that. been he's... sneaky. Yeah. Sneaky bad lately. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, just, I can agree with he's that. He's definitely not the EJ we've come to expect at the very least. Now, can you put your finger on what? No, in that's particular, it might be. Yeah, it's it's He's, not a real obvious. I we saw a play last night that I think really kind of, excuse me, kind of highlights what we've been seeing there, where he was like the stars dumped the puck in, and he was the first to it, and whichever Dallas player it was that came in first just easily took it off of him. Like he's not as strong in the corners as he's been, um, and he oh, like he, and he's like battling in that kind of not even just in the corner but battling. In general, he's losing more battles than he has before, which is something that's really hard to notice. But you do notice it on that play, and then you go, hey, wait a minute, that's kind of what it is. But you notice it on that play because then three avalanche all kind of vacuumed to the puck, and the Stars scored the same way that McKinnon did. Do you think it's age or that he's... I know know the excuse is always like, he could be fighting something, which is true for everybody. They're all fighting something. it doesn't look great, but it, Wilson's is it... fighting Earl as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> no, I he thought he fights for, for me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's easy to pass that off as maybe EJ's struggling with like a uh, some sort of upper body, hand, wrist, shoulder, maybe. Um. You know, and that would explain it. Something that, that that wouldn't explain is the fact that he was aggressive in the offensive zone a lot earlier in the year, and he hasn't been lately. And the points have kind of fallen off a bit. The whole they paired him with Nemeth, and he hasn't been the same player since they yeah. did that. Basically, <laughs> it's really weird how that worked out. I mean, it's like a curse that you can't get rid of. Got the black Take spot. Five showers a day, and it's still there. So yeah, hard to find any scratches this week. Coming up this week, the Avs have another home game that's actually a traveling back-to-back. Yay. On Tuesday, they had to Nashville for a 6 o'clock mountain start with the Predators, a game that the site says is on altitude to the Ocho, but the site also says that Pittsburgh Penguins are the Vancouver Canucks, according to the team logos, so who knows. 
Then I cannot even tell you how difficult it is to try to record that game on the Ocho. See, I mean, it's hard to watch, too, with its <laughs> amazing quality. Then on Wednesday, they return home for a 7.30 date with Pierre Maguire, NBC Sports, and the Pittsburgh Penguins, who have struggled a little and will also be traveling back-to-back like Dallas did last week. Thanks for all the home sludge, NHL scheduler. You're the best. Very fine choice for national TV, too. On Friday, Colorado are at home again and on the Ocho again, taking on the excitingly disappointing St. Louis Blues. 7 o'clock Mountain start there. And then the following week, they head out east for a four-game road trip. First game is on Sunday, because as a result of that, we're going to be a day early next week. You'll hear from us on Saturday slash Sunday, ahead of Sunday night's matchup with Stupid Detroit. So, Nashville, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, six points. I just want to say that I called six points last week, and I was right. You you did? (laughs) I will, however, not be that optimistic this week. Um, I will not. I think think four is good. If if they win, if they take four out of six points every week, they'll be just fine. So, I'm going with four. I think the road home back-to-back is tough. I think playing in Nashville is tough. Um, you gotta hope they can beat St. Louis at home with the way the St. Louis is playing. So I think they'll drop one of the back to back, and they'll they'll get four points this week. Four points Much is a I... pretty easy guess based on just the teams they're playing against this week. I mean, it's, you can look at a schedule loss against Pittsburgh, but it's it's not as a sludge, so it's kind of. Four points against teams that they should be better than. Easy call. Yeah, it, as ready as they look to beat Nashville right now, that's a big ask. In Nashville, <clears> as... it'll be a big test. It will be if if you know. Yeah. Um, I, I don't if... think it'll be a huge letdown if you know if they if they lose a close game there. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a huge letdown just because they've you know they have won what six in a row now, or points in six in a row. Um. Points in six or seven. So, yeah, I think it was points in seven. I think. It's, it's, yeah, it's all good. Whatever um, it is, it's good. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be a good test. Exactly. Like if they play well and lose, it's not a big deal. But if if they truly are where they are in the standings right now, they they definitely need to play well in this game. What do, What do you guys think about the the goalie rotation for those two games? Varley Grubauer in that order? Yeah. I think so, too. Because, yeah, still at this point, I want Varley playing the bigger game. Yeah. Grubauer should be more intimate with Pittsburgh anyway. That, too. I guess we should also wonder what his record against Pittsburgh is, but... I mean, he's been a backup. It's probably not much of one. I'm taking the negative with three points in this week, also. Uh, Wow. Well, think, I'm not the negative time. Yeah, uh, I think the Blues are pretty much a must-win, but yeah. I don't think we're ready to beat Nashville. And given the near miss against Dallas, I'm hopeful we can sludge the Pittsburgh game to overtime. But I'm not going to ask for more than that. Pittsburgh's been so bad. I know. I hope they continue playing playing bad, and, and it's going to be St. Louis bedline too. I mean, they're 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 an old team. The game's going to end past midnight Eastern time. They're going to be snoring. 
<laughs> and St. Louis on our long stand of two games. They long should be. Stand. It's the longest yeah. since the 14th and 16th, which was their... I mean, it's, they haven't had one longer than two games yet, have they? No. no. <laughs> and it's only kind of a two-game homestand because one of them is back-to-back. But like we were talking before the show about this, I want to give this in before we run. Um, this kind of as you look at the teams coming up and look where they are in the standings, the Avalanche are in position to really pick, you know, add on some points and and pad up their their position a little bit in the next few weeks. They've got after Nashville, they play Pittsburgh, St. Louis, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Florida, and then there's Tampa. And then Edmonton, St. Louis, Dallas, the Islanders, Montreal, who have been pretty decent, Chicago, Arizona, Vegas, Chicago, L.A. And now you're into 2019. Like, there's a lot wow, of yeah. opponents that the Avalanche have a good chance to beat coming up. We should be in first place by Christmas, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Miko has 60 points, we will be. Yeah, 60 points, first place. It's going to be a wonderful Christmas. Yeah, that's true. So everyone asks Santa for that. And in the meantime, whatever happens from week to week, you know you can find out here. Once again, we'll be here a day early next week because the scheduler hates me specifically. Um, but you can always catch the show on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio or on mixcloud.com slash burgundyradio. We post every episode on burgundyrainbow.com where you can find a link to the Discord to come in and talk to us about it all week long where you can talk about whatever else you want. Um three games three points four points six points i don't know did anybody say six points someone should have said six. i'm saying six points now because no one did i'll say six <laughs> points i'll jump on that grenade keep your head up in the dirty areas we will see you next week You know, yeah. it's like when they were on the losing streak, it's like the forwards were not supporting and they were yeah, flying yeah. the zone. And it's like, you know, they were just terrible defending in the neutral zone, too. And they, they locked that down and that helped. But it, Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah. And they quickly realized that they can't just let their defense do the defending because that's just not going to work. Well, it's, it's just, you know, it's like the defense are all so slow. It's like right. you know, they'll sit behind the goal with the puck and watch everybody go all the way to the opposing blue line and be like, oh, golly, I guess I have to break it out by myself. What do I do? <laughs> Who's this? <laughs> the Eagles. <laughs> the Eagles. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the Kings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Pretty similar. <laughs> Same malady. <laughs> but the end of the game was worth it, so. I was not. I mean, I love the end of the game, but I don't need to watch 55 minutes of crap. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you talking the Eagles game? No, I was talking the Avs game. Oh, the yeah. end of the Eagles game is always worth it. Coward always does something fun.